Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. How do we not only look at the resources that the city has, but how do we do this in partnership with the county, with the state, with business and others? Because we all play a huge role in safety. We all play a huge role in investments. Hi, everybody, and Happy New Year. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Garion Gatewood, Deputy Mayor for Community Safety under Mayor Brandon Johnson, the former director of the Illinois Justice Project. Garion, thanks for joining us, and Happy New Year to you too, sir. Happy New Year, Fran. Happy to be here. Under Mayor Lori Lightfoot, your position was called Deputy Mayor for Public Safety. What's in a name, as Shakespeare famously put it? Why the title change to community safety? What's the meaning of that? Yeah, so the big meaning of that is we wanted to take a different approach to how we looked at safety. Um, I, I would say not only have we looked at it holistically from a community standpoint, but we also really wanted to look at how we approach this work from community through collaboration and also partnership through all of the city agencies. Um, we know that, you know, when people can think about public safety, it has historically been, all right, what are police doing? We wanted to be more expansive than that and more intentional than that. So that goes into the name change and that goes into the way we've been doing our work. And all deference, though, Garion, she did that, too. She really did that, too. She had her own community, you know, whole of government, whatever she called it, program that 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 flooded the zone of some violent neighborhoods with all kinds of city resources. She did the same thing and she was making some progress. So what's different here? Yeah, I'll tell you what's different. Uh, the approach that we're taking, Fran, we are looking at our work from a very, very hyper-local level from the level of collaboration to the level of understanding. I mean, I think we, when we talked in the past, I told you, we've looked at not only what CPD would describe as the top 35 most violent beats, but we layered on top of that school closures. We layered on top of that percentages of folks with high school diplomas, percentages of folks with primary care physicians to really look at where we are seeing the highest levels of violence and disinvestment. And how do we then take that partnership with different community leaders, different leaders in philanthropy and different leaders in business and really build on partnerships and build on collaboration. Um, I will say that this has been a very intentional approach um, to a place where we will be able to share at a block group level 
we'll, we'll be digging into our work relatively soon here. Shortly before the end of the year, Mayor Johnson took the wraps off his people's plan for community safety. At first, it sounded like a rebranded mix of the anti-violence plans that Lightfoot championed with some violence prevention initiatives bankrolled by the business community factored in. But there are, as you mentioned, subtle differences and new ways that the mayor wants to take this fight against the root causes of crime to a new level. Uh, you talk about this more granular approach that that Mayor Johnson is taking. It's focusing on just four historically violent and underinvested neighborhoods. Uh, Englewood, Little Village, Austin, West Garfield Park. And in pinpointing the most violent blocks within those four those four neighborhoods. How did you go about identifying those over every other? Yeah, so <laughs> it was a very intricate process where we met, we had over 29 meetings with stakeholders throughout the entire city. And we started this process of looking at the data. We started this process of understanding that it is never an entire community, right? I think historically people have said, all right, well, Inglewood is violent. Well, people in Inglewood will tell you there are blocks in Inglewood that need more focus than others. And CPD will tell you the same, and so will OEMC. So what we started to do is we really started to look at a granular level. Where are we seeing the highest levels of violence coupled with school closures and the highest levels of disinvestment and then start to dig in in those spaces? And that's not to say we're going to stop all of the other work that we are already doing, but we know starting in these four communities with a heavier approach in partnership with community is going to be important because once we show that this works, you can multiply it to different communities around the city. Um, and this is how we got here. I mean, it was a lot of research, a lot of tough conversations, uh, a lot of meetings with community members and really digging in on where we can invest, where we're already seeing levels of investment, where there is some areas of infrastructure that we can build upon and where we have opportunities to really dig in and partner. School closings, why? Because CPS lost students that never returned and may have been lost to the streets. Is that why? And if so, how do you get those kids back? That's one of the major reasons, Fran. I, um, so closing so many schools in predominantly black and brown communities on top of closing mental health clinics, on top of having what I would call purposeful disinvestment, means we need to really look at what it means to reinvest in those communities. Um, we've lost a lot of students over time, and we have to be intentional about, one, reengaging young folks back in school. And not just back in school, but really thinking about how do we offer supports for the entire family? And what are the other programs that the city can offer, first and foremost, to those families and to those young folks? Um, what's it mean to re-engage a young person? What's it mean to really think about wraparound services? What are the mental health supports they need? And what does the family need? So we wanted to be intentional about this because I think anybody will tell you, you can't only work on one person and think you're going to find a solution. Just re-engaging a young person back in school um, does not mean that when they go home, they have the supports that they need. So what's it mean to really engage at a deeper level 
in partnership to see how do we really offer those true wraparound supports for people. How many kids do you think disappeared after the school closings, never to come back to CPS? Oh, you know, Fran, I don't know on that, honestly. Um, I and where'd they go? Where'd they go? Well, I don't know how many it was, but I can tell you um, what we've seen over the years is spikes and you've seen disinvestment and talking to young folks, young folks who would have been in that age bracket when school closure started and young folks now, there is a desire to re-engage. There's a desire to partner. The biggest desire I've heard is to be listened to. So what we have to do is we have to listen to young folks, right? We, we have a tendency to point the finger at young folks and really blame them for a lot of things that we're seeing out here. But in reality, we also have to look at ourselves and the systems that we put in place and the systems that have failed and try to rectify that. Yeah, you've talked about luring them back to school, about creating recreational opportunities that engage them in their own neighborhoods so that we don't have and continue to have the problem of large groups of teens coming downtown and, and causing trouble. It's fine if they want to enjoy downtown, not so fine if they want to gather and, and cause all kinds of trouble, particularly during the warm weather months the way we've seen. What is it going to take to get these kids who may be, let's say, uh, involved in crime or hanging out on the streets or causing trouble or, or, or just wandering because they have, you know, maybe lured to a gang or whatever they're doing that's destructive or potentially destructive? What is it going to take to get these kids back into the legitimate economy, give them futures, give them hope, give them direction, uh, give their family support. What is it going to take and how intensive and costly is that likely to be? All right. So a couple of things I'll say. Um, there is a common misconception that all of the young folks that come downtown and you didn't say this, but this is something that happens a lot. All of the folks that come downtown, when you see those larger gatherings, are there for trouble. Um, and that's just not the case. Sometimes there are outliers. And when there are outliers, we have put in systems in place where we're working with faith leaders, street outreach organizations, the Chicago Police Department, the Department of Family and Support Services to really wrap around and support those young folks, but also CPD has done a great job in holding some of those young folks accountable and doing a better job of working with the Chicago with Chicago public schools to contact those parents of those young folks for the ones who are in Chicago public schools. Because there are times where some of these young folks are not from Chicago are or not in CPS. But what I will say is beyond that, in my prior role, when we started first seeing some of these trends, uh, when I was the director of the Illinois Justice Project, we had young folks come in and talk to us at our juvenile justice support group around why they would see the trends and why they would be downtown. And some of the common answers were, we want to go downtown to escape from our neighborhoods just like other folks do. We want to go downtown to see what the city has to offer just like other folks do. I think what we have to do is we have to do a better job of being welcoming and providing and operating safe spaces for young folks. Nobody including the mayor, wants anybody to be destructive at all. 
So we have to think of better ways to offer opportunities to engage young folks and really think about how we plan for summer safety for young folks in the city overall. You know, some of the work that we did when we first came in as an administration was really thinking about how we created opportunities um, during the Memorial Memorial Day and the June gap between the time where kids got out of school and before parks programs started, really activating a lot of safe spaces. And we did that in partnership um, with philanthropy and business efforts being led in partnership with Chicago Community Trust uh, and Esther Franco paying from the partnership with Safe and Peaceful Community and business leaders like Charles Smith and others really coming together to think about how do we provide resources for these young folks and doing that in partnership with parks and with CPS was a beautiful thing. So not only do we have to continue that work, but we have to build on top of that. Um, and also understanding that this is not a one size fits all. So we have to be adaptable and we have to continue to grow with opportunities that not only that we provide for young folks, but also holding some of those young folks who do cause trouble responsible and accountable in partnership with the Chicago Police Department, in partnership with Cook County Juvenile Probation and others. So would it work to have downtown events specifically for them at a location, a concert, a, you know, to, to, to show them that, okay, sure, come on down and enjoy your downtown, but do it in a constructive way for this event or that event or whatever, not just wander and and then when you wander, there tends to be sometimes mischief. Yeah, I think there are a couple of ways to do that, friend. And that is something that we've discussed. And I'll give you an example of, you know, last summer, Jamal Cole from my block, my city, my hood, uh, had an event. We had a bunch of young folks come down and explore the city. He did that in partnership with CPD, in partnership with a lot of the businesses down uh, downtown to provide those opportunities for young folks. Having a more coordinated effort with these young folks will be really helpful. Uh, this is one of the major reasons we have our youth commission. This is one of the major reasons we work with organizations like Circles and Ciphers, Good Kids, Mad City, so on and so forth. You work with these organizations because they know youth. They work closer with youth and having conversations around what the needs are and being better prepared for what the needs are in partnership. Obviously, we're never going to be able to stop everything that happens in the city, but we can be better prepared in partnership to curtail a lot of it. But you've got to create opportunities in their own home neighborhoods for constructive things, places they can hang out, you know, recreational centers, basketball leagues, uh, whatever entices young people these days. Don't you have to do that? And that's going to be costly. 1,000% we have to do that. And we also have to have a better understanding of what is available in those neighborhoods and what the needs are of the young folks. Um, you know, one of the big pieces of our work, as you know, is um, from our pillars of our work and one of our key populations, Youth of Highest Promise, are really sitting down with you to determine what is it you need and how do we partner with government, philanthropy, and business to provide those resources for it. Yes, it will be costly. But if we don't make this investment in young folks, you'll be talking to somebody 10 years from now having the same conversation. And we have to start making these investments and we have to make these investments now. Right. And the mayor campaigned on a promise to make a billion dollars worth of investments in people, 
funded by $800 million in new taxes, fines, and fees. He hasn't done any of that in his first budget. Doesn't any need to get going on that so that you can have the budget that you need to do these things when the federal stimulus money runs out? So I think the mayor's done a great job on not only having the first budget, right, Fran? Because look, we've been in we've been in office for seven months, and you know, um, and I know he gets he's under a lot of scrutiny, but obviously we're not going to change historic disinvestment over a seven month span. But what his budget did do in his very first budget, which you know you've often heard him refer to it as a down payment, because we have four budgets, right? And you're not going to change the entire city of Chicago in the first budget. But looking at the investments, an additional $78 million in expanding youth employment, looking at the uh, reallocation of resources in the Chicago Police Department to add nearly 400 civilian positions, um, thinking about reopening some of the mental health clinics, investing in treatment, not trauma, also investing in the Peace Book. Like These are major, significant investments that the city hasn't seen before moving in the direction of not only his campaign promises, because those are important, but his promises to the city of Chicago and the people of Chicago to invest in Chicago and really have Chicago be the greatest city in the world. So he's continued to build on that work. Um, we feel really confident in how we're going to build out this plan for safety because we're going to do this with community and we believe in the people of Chicago. And, you know, Fran, most importantly on that piece is how do we not only look at the resources that the city has, but how do we do this in partnership with the county, with the state, with business and others? Because we all play a huge role in safety. We all play a huge role in these investments. To make a difference in these four neighborhoods, uh, you have talked about another round of guaranteed basic income targeted mm -hmm. this time to maximize outcomes only in these four neighborhoods. Have you decided yet what level of support you're going to give and how many residents in each of those neighborhoods you're going to target? The first pilot, as you know, lasted for one year, gave 5,000 Chicago residents across the city $500 a month. What will this be? Jason Irvin, who's one of the local aldermen, says it's got to be enough to really make a difference in the lives of these people. Yeah, so um, I agree with Alderman Irvin. It does need to be enough to make a difference in the lives of people. I will say a couple of things. We are still working through the process of what our guaranteed basic income rollout will be. And we won't just be doing this with our office, friend. It will be more expansive across the administration. So while my office will focus on these pieces, uh, in the safety plan, there are different parts of our office and different parts of the administration that will be more expansive. And we'll be able to share more of that down the line once we get those logistics laid out for folks. We're really excited about where it's going, but I don't want to get ahead of our colleagues and what we're planning on that. Because, again, it won't just be the community safety team. Um, we have been very intentional about working across the board in this administration as partners with every deputy mayor, every one of our colleagues to really look at, here are the investments that are needed, and this is how we do it in partnership. So it will be more expansive, but the time that we can talk about that more publicly will be soon, because again, it is not just the community safety team, it's the entire administration. 
And we want to make sure that there's space for everybody to kind of roll out what it looks like together. And we gave you a teaser with the community safety plan, but it will be more than that, friend. So uh, excited about what's to come on that piece and excited about what we'll be able to share down the line, hopefully relatively soon. But 500 a month doesn't cut it. 500 a month plus other things may be very helpful, right? So look at it this way, right? Not only are you looking at how we open up resources from guaranteed basic income, but how do we open up opportunities for employment? How do we open up those pathways, right? We often talk about the need for the business community to step up in employment, but we have a lot of vacancies here in the city too. So how do we work to change some of our hiring systems and practices to really expedite some of these processes so people can get a better way into employment. So that means working with our unions. That means working with our HR departments. That means working with our community-based organizations and our community partners across the board to see where the levels of interest are, really thinking about hiring affairs and being more intentional because you have to be more intentional if we want to do this the right way. You're also planning a long-awaited workforce allocation study with findings made public that will be conducted by the Chicago Police Department, which could ultimately result in reassigning officers to high-crime neighborhoods. We had one of those a few years ago. The University of Chicago Crime Lab did it, and CPD pretty much uh, ignored the results. Lightfoot and her police superintendent, David Brown, instead chose a political path of least resistance that called for reassigning officers only as they came out of the academy, and that was going to take a long time. Workforce allocation debate, as you know, are always controversial, and that is because Chicago has 2,000 fewer police officers on the street than it did just a few years ago. And because moving officers to high-crime neighborhoods is a zero-sum exercise, some neighborhoods and wards have to lose officers for another neighborhood to gain them. How do you plan to finesse that debate, particularly now that although shootings and homicides are down, robberies are way up and other violent crime is up and people feel uneasy. Yeah, so I don't think we have to finesse it, friend. I think um, you've seen with this mayor in particular, he has um, been willing to take things really head on. One, two, on the workforce allocation study, I think it's going to be very important that we do this publicly because we need to share with folks so they can understand this, this is what the data shows. This is where we need to be. But also, this will help officers because historically, we've continued to ask officers to do entirely too much. I can't tell you the number of calls we get where people say, oh, we need more officers, we need more officers. Reality is, is we're not producing these officers on a conveyor belt. These are people. So we have to be cognizant of what it means to act and continuously ask. And this is why we also have to be really digging deeper into partnership, right? This is what it means when we ask, when we say we're all asking officers to do too much. So how do you look at issues like treatment, not trauma? And when you think about the expansion of street outreach uh, and network that's happened there, when you think about the work that we'll be doing with youth, so how do you really start to build shared accountability across the board? Because if we continue to say we need more officers, we need more officers, 
We have to start thinking beyond that, friend. We have to start thinking about what the reality is. And I am certain if you ask Superintendent Snelling or anybody else in CPD, they will tell you they've been asked to do too much and they want shared accountability across the board and they want people to partner with them. I hear that every single day. So we have to think about ways where other agencies in the city understand the role that we all play in creating this safety. Right. But how do you read the fact that the number of victims, shooting victims in their 20s is down, but the share of homicide victims over 30 is up and carjackings are down, but vehicle thefts are way up and robberies Mm -hmm. are way up. What does this all tell you about what you need to do in your plan? Yeah, what it tells me is we're going to continue to expand our work and our plan. You hear more about what we'll be doing on robbery strategies relatively soon. Uh, the Chicago Police Department has continued to brief alders on what if, what they've been doing uh, to curtail robberies and what that looks like. We're also going to continue our work in trying to bring down car thefts. We'll continue to do that work in partnership with the Chicago Police Department and others. And again, we'll be able to roll more of that out relatively soon as well, because if this is a both and, because we have to be very strategic about where we deploy our resources and we have to be very thoughtful around what that means. So this also means we need help. We need help across the board and stronger lines of communication. We need stronger lines of partnership and we'll continue to build on those because people need to feel safe. Here's the reality. We all, if you work in the city of Chicago, you live in the city of Chicago. We all want to feel that safety and we're all working towards it. And this is why we have to do it together. This what is why are you see they us doing in, about the robberies? So they've done a lot of work on the robberies, friend. Like you've seen robbery numbers start to decrease. And one, they've been able to take down crews. Two, they've been able to do that in partnership with different law enforcement entities across the county and across the state. They'll continue to do that and they'll continue to grow more in that space. And I think it's probably appropriate to have the Chicago Police Department really give a detailed update on what they're doing on robberies and robbery strategies because it has been effective in some spaces and it will need to continue to grow. This is not an issue that we're going to be able to solve overnight. And this is why we're going to do this in partnership. When the Sun-Times talked to you last month for an analysis about the mayor's anti-violence strategy, you talked about making at least one announcement every month in the rollout of this plan. Give us a preview. What's announcement number one? So... Um, this will actually be February 1st. So I let you down, friend. I thought we'd be able to get one in January, but there'll be one February 1st. We may also have another one uh, coming in January, but the expansion of community violence intervention in the different neighborhoods that we'll be going to in partnership with the business community, that will be coming in February, February 1 to be exact. We'll do some other things here in January as well, but that one, Because it has been important that people understand that, yes, while this deep dive work is going to happen in these four communities, we're not going to stop in our other work in different parts of the city. So you'll see where that $100 million investment starts to go. They'll do a big rollout of what that looks like in February. So we're excited about that piece. We are in the process of relaunching our reentry office. 
So we're going to uh, start our work with hiring a director for that and really digging in deep on that work as well, too. And we're excited about what we'll be doing with young folks going forward, too. So some exciting things that come on all of those, because, again, we can do both. And and I'm also really excited about where we'll start to lay out more concrete uh, examples of what we're doing for these robbery strategies and in partnership with folks across the city of Chicago. That is something I'm very excited about. That's something you'll hear more from CPD about relatively soon. And we'll continue to build on that because this is not something that we are doing alone. This is not something that we can do alone. This is not something that we will do alone. We have to do this in partnership. So we're excited to lay more things out um, every month for the next few months and really get continue to get the work done. It's got to include technology, drones and all that stuff, because that's the that's the way you chase now, because CPD doesn't chase on foot pretty much anymore. They don't do vehicular chases, which are dangerous. Um, a lot of people think they ought to uh, relax the rules that have been so strict, but you need technology, don't you? Of course you need technology, right? Of course you need technology, and we've had technology, and we'll continue to have some technology. So You need more you know, of it, don't is, you? Well, it depends. It depends on how effective it is, and it depends on what the needs are. So that's something that we'll continue to address as an administration and in partnership with CPD. Drones? Oh, I don't know about drones. We'll cross that bridge later on. What's wrong with drones? They, they work, don't they? Do they? Well, I don't know. Looking from afar, you know what I mean? I'm looking from above. Uh, it's like a helicopter, only it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cheaper version of it. You know, you can, you can at least have some video of something. Yeah, I will say at the, at the core of it, some of the things that I think work are levels of communication and people being and feeling comfortable enough to talk to police about the things that they are seeing in their communities. And also what it means is also community members being able to hold each other accountable as well, right? So it doesn't always have to be a police response, but how do you hold people accountable for the work, for the things that they are doing in communities? So opening, opening up those lines of communication is something that has worked in the past. It's something that um, CPD wants is something that street outreach organizations want. It's something that people across the city want. So, you know, we'll cross those those technology bridges when we get there. Violence intervention is nothing new. What's going to be new about your level of it? Violence intervention is not new. Um, the expansion and intentionality of it is going to be something that will be remarkably important in really understanding how we bridge those gaps. And, Fran, how do we layer all of those other pillars on top of the violence intervention work? Reengaging in education, access to quality health care, protective, uh, protective housing, victim services and support. So how do we align that work in a space where people in community know who's responsible for it, right? So we know in some places street outreach and violence intervention is very effective. What would be more effective is having a schedule and an understanding of this is where people will be. This is what we can expect. This is how we can partner. So really thinking about how we deploy resources in that regard, because typically when people think about deploying resources, it's about deploying CPD resources. We need to be thinking across the board on how we layer each of these pieces of work, because none of this works 
will in a silo. You have to break down those silos in order to get the return on the investment that we want to see. And that return on the investment is a safer city. How long is it going to take to show real progress here? Well, friend, I think it will take longer to not take this approach is what I will say. Um, You know, I know a lot of people ask questions like, oh, what are we doing right now? This is the right now. We'll continue to do our work for right now, because if we don't address root causes, we will be in the same cycle five or 10 years from now. So we have to address root causes and we have to do that in partnership. So we're already seeing some of the changes now. We're already seeing different levels of partnership now. We have to continue to build on that. Um, I'm not going to tell you that you'll see (laughs) a magical peel that changes all of the violence in the city of Chicago overnight because we have been a violent city for a very long time. Um, The violence in the city has been sensationalized and people have lived with that trauma and that pain for a very long time. So we have to start with victims, we have to support victims, and we have to continue to build. The timeline is how we work to make a city this large safer and how we do that in partnership. And regardless of what people's beliefs are, regardless of who they voted for, regardless of where they stand, we can all agree that we want a safer city. We can all but agree that we need robberies, a safer city. Our spike in robberies, we stand alone among big cities in that. Why is that? Um, that is for a few reasons, but I will say the biggest thing on that is our approach that we will be taking and continue to take on those robberies is how we will curtail those and how we will need to work together to help keep people safe. Um, but you're not we saying are how, why, why we, are, we are an we outlier. Are, why are we an outlier? We are, why? Why do you think? That's a good question, why we're an outlier. Um, what we need to do is we need to get to the bottom of that. And that means we need to do more work on catching these crews that CPD has continued to do. Uh, We need to work together in partnership with other entities to learn what they're doing, how we're building on that, and how we can continue to hold folks accountable. You know, there are crews um, that have been able to be shut down across the city, and we'll continue to build on that. And then we'll be able to discuss more on why we're an outlier, because we need to get those numbers down, because people need to feel safer. People need to be safe. We also need to continue to invest in people and hold those folks who are causing havoc accountable. So you can but do you, both you and you can invest in people. Why we're we're out there by ourselves on that on that doobie? You said I haven't a clue. Do you do you do you have any clue in your own mind why this is? You oh, know, in order yeah, to attack it and remedy it, you need to know why it's happening, don't you? Yeah. So to attack it and remedy it, you have to use experts who've been working on these issues, who's been able to attack it and remedy it in different parts of the city. So this is when we bring in those experts who've been doing this work who've been able to bring robberies down in certain parts of the city. Those numbers are going down. But again, it's not just based on numbers, friend, because if we base success on numbers and numbers only, you will never see the level of success that we need to see in the city. So we'll continue to build on that. We'll continue to build on partnerships. and We will continue to work with different entities, including business, including philanthropy, including our partners, to bring those robberies down, to hold folks accountable, and also invest in people. 
Gary and Gatewood, you got your work cut out, and I'm going to be watching you and holding you accountable and, and seeing measuring your progress. And I wish you the very best of luck in a very big job that's most important to the future of Chicago. Thank you so much, friend. We will see you all next week. 